our southern border is being invaded as we speak, and it's time for those outside of Fox News and Border Patrol to give a damn. The show starts now. Former Obama DHS Secretary Jay Johnson once said 1,000 illegal immigrant encounters a day would be considered a crisis. Well, in case anyone was wondering, we are at least at eight times that amount as we speak. And since Biden took office, an estimated 5.5 million illegals have invaded through our southern border that we know of. And for some reason, only Fox News and Bill Malusian seem to think it's worth reporting on. These illegals are being flown bust and schlepped into every state across the nation. So no, this isn't just a Tucson, an El Paso, a San Diego, or a border town issue. This is a national issue and a national security risk. And these illegals are brazen. They're dropped off in the care of the NGOs, these nonprofits. Then they simply walk or swim across our border like they really do not give two craps about our immigration laws. And why should they? And you think what we're seeing now is bad? Wait until Title 42 expires next week. All hell is going to break loose. Customs and Border Protection sources tell Fox News that migrant numbers for fiscal year 2023, which began in October, are at over 485,000 and were expected to hit the half a million mark last weekend. So far, 156,000 have been expelled under Title 42. And like I said, that last line of any sort of defense is about to expire on December 21st after a court declared it unlawful. Because apparently it's unlawful to turn people around who came into the country illegally, but the act of coming in illegally is A-OK. -okay. Things are about to get nuts. And again, the media at large doesn't seem to give a damn. We cover and fund to fight the invasions of other countries, but when it comes to our own southern border, eh, nothing to see. And when a Border Patrol agent dies in the line of duty due to the actions of illegals, no one outside of conservative Twitter, Border Patrol, his family, and Fox News care to even mention it. I guess they're too busy hailing the homecoming of the America-hating pothead basketball player. Go figure. But up next, I'm diving into this mess with the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I want to know what's about to go down and how and if we can do anything about it. That's next. Title 42 expires next week, and while that's a Christmas gift to all those who want to waltz across our border, use our resources, and suck our country dry, for Americans, legal immigrants, and Border Patrol, it's going to be a living nightmare. The word is out. Democrats need votes and don't care about our border integrity, so get while the getting's good, future illegals of the world. And if you don't think this is going to impact your communities, your kids' schooling, and our economic outlook, well, you must be watching ABC, CNN, MSNBC, and TikTok. The floodgates are about to open, and it's going to make the influx we're seeing now look like a slow night at Texas Roadhouse. Joining me now with what you need to know and advice to Republicans who might want to do something about it is the head of government relations for the Federation for American Immigration Reform, R.J. Hammond. R.J., oh my gosh, I have always been very passionate about the border. I've been down on six separate occasions during the Trump administration and once during the Biden administration. And beyond Fox News and Bill Malusian, it really doesn't seem like the American media at large is too concerned with the mass influx that we have coming into our country right now. Why do you think that is? Well, because, I mean, it's all by design. I mean, they don't want to cover this. They like what's happening down here. They want to change the dynamics of our country. And you're right. I mean, it's sad. It's This has become the new normal. 
I mean, if you think back to that crisis President Trump had in 2019, again, they were just focusing on the kids in cages thing, the fact that they're using these, you know, foil space blankets and stuff like that. But if you actually look at the numbers, it's not even close. I mean, it is half what we're seeing um, every month down there at the border. And again, it's going to get way worse. With Title 42 slated to end on December 21st, Title 42 is the only thing in place that kind of keeps the border just slightly secure because it allows them to quickly return some people. But even Title 42, as the Biden administration's using it, they did a bunch of exemptions and carve-outs right out the gate. Pretty much everybody that comes through the border is let into the country under the guise of legality, processed, released, and into American communities. Crisis is going to get a lot worse uh, in the coming days, and nobody up here on Capitol Hill really cares. Yeah, I think that to me is what is most frustrating is that it is a crisis. You know, I said at the top of my show when former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson said a thousand a day would be a crisis. Well, we're at eight times that about to get a heck of a lot worse. But I think also what really, really infuriates me is these people are lining up and just walking in. I don't I don't understand how this administration, how Democrats can defend that. We basically have just opened the floodgates and then they have the audacity to say that Republicans don't want to work on immigration. Well, we don't have an immigration process right now. We have an open door. But I want to know what your advice is, your guidance is to Republicans who are going to take over the House in January. What, if anything, can they do to stem the tide, maybe even just a little bit? You know, well, first and foremost, to your point on the eight times that, you know, there's even predictions that it could be between 8,000 and 14,000 um, a day, you know, starting on December 21st. You do simple math. You take an average month, 30 days or something, you 30, you know, times 14, and you're over 400,000 people in a given month. That used to be a yearly total, even less than that. Again, it's going to get a lot worse. But, you know, we have a very clear three-pronged ask for Congress next year. Number one, and this is mainly a House focus because obviously Democrats retain control of the upper chamber, but number one, you do a strong border security bill out the gate. You have actual strong statutory solutions. You don't just throw money down there on access roads, even you know border infrastructure like a wall. That doesn't even really matter. People come in under the guise of legality. We have so many flaws in our system that allow the Biden administration to A, ignore current law, and B, abuse their executive authority. Everybody is released and processed in mass under the guise of legality. That has to stop. We have to do a bill right out the gate to address it. Now, we know that will never be signed into law, even if we controlled the Senate, because the Biden administration wants to keep the crisis going. So number two, we have to do aggressive oversight, get to the bottom of this crisis. You know, they, they had a, a select committee on Benghazi. Well, Benghazi's in the Middle East, and obviously it was very tragic, but it's more tragic of what's happening down at the border and these lethal narcotics that are flowing into American communities and undermining our entire national sovereignty. Get to the bottom of how it happened. Hold Secretary Mayorkas accountable for undermining the very existence of his agency. You might as well call it the Department of Homeland Insecurity. Number three, and I think this is most important, this is why the spending bill stuff is so important right now, that we don't do an ex a, a omnibus bill that goes all the way through the end of the fiscal year, taking key leverage uh, away for nine months. But we have to control the purse strings properly. Stop giving the Department of Homeland Security a blank check, not to secure our borders, but to, again, process migrants more into the country. If you think the border patrols down there um, keeping the border secure, they're not. They're standing there with a clipboard outside of a bus and taking people in to an NGO's uh, facility in an American town. And all those NGOs as well 
that don't want any borders anywhere, they're getting funded by the federal government. Mm -hmm. It's this vicious cycle that needs to stop. And Republicans can tweet about the border crisis all they want, but the American people will be watching them. Do something about it, or you'll be just as unpopular as Speaker Pelosi and her crew are currently right now. Well, McCarthy has vowed to do some work against Mayorkas in particular, which I hope to see. I just want the American people to understand what a crisis this is, because I don't think that they are making the connection. And I would ask Democrats, at what point are you going to cut it off? How many millions and millions of people from around the world are you going to bring into this country before you say, hmm, maybe that's too much? Because they seem to be concerned about a whole list of things in this country. The climate change, of course, COVID is still at the top of their list. But they don't seem too concerned about the mass influx of people that we're now going to have to deal with that are going to be sucking our resources and taking jobs. Because I have a prediction of what's going to happen. Right now, we still have a worker shortage. We still don't have Americans that want to go to work. But as the clamps are tightening down on our economy, people are going to have to go back to work. And guess what? There's going to be millions of illegal immigrants to fill those positions, and Americans are going to be, you know what, out of luck. So I am incredibly frustrated with this, but I also wonder... The day that comes that Republicans do take everything back, let's just hope it's 2024, remain in Mexico. Is there a hope that we can re-implement that? Because when I've been to the border under the Trump administration, remain in Mexico was the most effective policy that this administration, the Trump administration, put in place. They did not want to sit in Mexico and wait for their court date. They wanted to be somewhere in the United States of America. It worked. Now we don't have it. No, I mean, you're absolutely spot on. And this is partly... A, something we point out, you know, I'm going to give you an example. Senator Tillis from North Carolina, Squish, and newly independent Kirsten Cinema, they're working on a big mass amnesty bill right now for upwards of 2 million illegal aliens. But if you look at all their trade-offs in there of stuff to supposedly address the border crisis, first, it's just more resources, a new bureaucratic entity down at the border to process and release even more migrants coming into the country. But the thing we're trying to point out, you don't really need to fully change laws right now to address the crisis. They have the tools in their toolbox. As you said, uh, remain in Mexico. They can tweak, um, uh, do some asylum regulations to kind of change how things operate down there. President Trump did it. They just gutted it, okay, on day one, in the first 100 days of the Biden administration, because anything that had the letter T attached to it, they got rid of it. And what happened? Our border got overrun, and it has not stopped. So, you know, we're hopeful at times, okay? We see here and there, there's a new report of the Biden administration may tighten asylum, they may do this, they may do that, but it's all for show. Any report you Biden administration's considering, I guarantee you it was leaked by an open borders staffer to give like AILA and the ACLU a heads up to start pounding the phone lines at the White House and at DHS headquarters or sue if they eventually do it. I'm telling you, these agencies that are in charge of keeping our borders secure, you have people at ICE that want to abolish ICE. The agency is almost being abolished from within. This will not truly end, okay, until President Biden serves his last day at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I wish that Republicans, when we had control, would have done something, fully funded that wall. But like you said, it really doesn't even matter if you have a wall when you've got a president, when you've got a no enforcement mechanism, and you say that all these people that are coming across are seeking asylum. Seeking asylum, my ass. These are thousands and thousands of people that are waltzing into our country, and we are meant to believe that these are all legitimate asylum seekers. No, they should be processed on site. They should have to go through an actual process to find out if they are truly seeking asylum. And if they're not, turn around and get the hell back. 
I just don't understand why we're in this position. And it frustrates me so much because I've spent so much time at the border with Border Patrol agents who are not even allowed to do their jobs. As you said, they stand there with a clipboard. They're running to get prescriptions for illegal immigrants, drop them off at the hospital. I mean, my God, they're soccer moms at this point. I can't even imagine what the morale is like at that border at this point. The Border Patrol agents that you speak to, what is it like on the ground for them on a day-to-day basis? I mean, again, they're just, they're catching and then releasing into American communities. That's all they do. They are people that are simply processing these migrants. And again, that's why it is so important, again, that the rule of law needs to change. And we have to, we can't address it. This is the trap, again, that I think is so important that we have, Republicans cannot fall into. It's too probably in the weeds, you know, a lot going on in the spending bill front. But there's a thing called the CR anomaly. Even if the federal government's going to be, you know, funded at current levels, you know, not a bunch of new funding streams, uh, the the law allows the White House to request some money. So if you're looking at the money of what they're looking for down at the border, all they want to do is process people quicker and more smoothly into the country. A lot of these people, okay, they get the magic words of what to say. I claim credible fear. They're coached up by the smugglers and immigration attorneys down there at the border. I I don't get how putting, you know, 10,000 more people to help process or building these new facilities, that doesn't stop the crisis, okay? It keeps it going under the guise of legality. You cannot fall into the trap of the Biden administration saying, give me 5 billion, 2 billion, 3 billion to address the crisis. Look at the fine print. Yeah, the funding, that it's another thing that just really grinds my gears. And again, you're right, they know exactly what to say. But during the Trump administration, when we had zero tolerance, what would happen would be these people would come, they would spend thousands of dollars because they pay their coyotes. For people that think that they're not paying smugglers and traffickers and coyotes, every single one of them is paying up thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So these illegals, they're not dumb. They don't want to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to find out that they're going to be come to the United States and get turned back around or they're going to have to sit in Mexico, they're not going to take that chance. But right now they know, hey, you know what? Naples seems like a nice place this time of year. Maybe that's where I'll go. Maybe that's where I'll request my bus or plane ticket. It's infuriating, but you're right. Throwing money at the problem doesn't solve the problem. Enforce the laws that we actually have on the books. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that Republicans are at least going to put something forward. But again, you're right. They tweet about it. They talk about it. But the only one who ever did a damn thing about it was Donald Trump. And whether you love him or hate him or you want to see him be president again, he cared about the border and he made it a national issue that people cared about. And I don't see any other Republican that's been able to do it. No, you're absolutely spot on. Nobody has. Again, they have a firm mandate. And, you know, one thing we want to point out as well. Listen, the election didn't turn out how the party we're aligned with, even though we're nonpartisan, um, expected it to. But again, it wasn't a referendum on the border crisis. There were so many other factors at play. I mean, you could talk about fraud, the uh, the ground game Republicans had, candidates themselves. Again, it had nothing to do with immigration. Again, we did firm exit polling statewide, national level. People want the border secure. People in both parties, they said the top priority, securing the border and enforce the law. You know, it's probably below 10% at national level and even in some big states um, that want amnesty right out the gate. So, again, Republicans can't misread the election. They need to deliver strong policy outcomes. Have a couple victories, okay? You know, stop things from happening. Get to the bottom of why the crisis happened. If you want to be truly rewarded at the polls when it comes to immigration, do something. Have an accomplishment. If you look at two of the governors who had some of the strongest performances, 
What did they do? Governor Abbott, as Operation Lone Star, started transporting migrants into the country. DeSantis did similar. They won handily. Okay, so Republicans can't be fearful and sit back and listen to the consultant class who's always wrong. The same very people who said Republicans would never win another presidential election. This is an autopsy in 2013 after Romney got clobbered. They said Republicans will never win another election unless you amnesty every illegal alien in the country. How did that work out? Huh. Well, and Trump largely ran on build the wall. I mean, that was one Correct. of his primary focuses. Republicans need to do something. They need to step on some toes, offend some people, hurt some feelings, because this is the national security and sovereignty of our damn nation. And if we don't have that, we have nothing. Thank you for spending so much time with me, for digging into this, for all the work that you guys do. I, I use you as a resource quite often in my reporting and in my script. So uh, thank you guys for fighting that good fight. And let's just, fingers crossed, we still have a country come January. <laughs> yep. Thank you. All right. Thanks, RJ. Still ahead, he's an ex-NHL star, Olympic medalist, and pissed-off Canadian. Theo Fleury joins me next. He may be a Stanley Cup winner and Olympic gold medalist, but these days he's putting all of his time and energy into fighting for freedom in Canada, a place that under Lord Tyrant Dork Trudeau has become increasingly communist and tyrannical. Joining me now is hockey star, Olympian, author, motivational speaker, and freedom fighter, Theo Fleury. Theo, uh, I'm so happy to have you. Listen, we are not that far away from Canada, but it might as well be a different world, especially under the leadership of Trudeau and especially in the never-ending era of COVID. What is the status of your guys' restrictions as far as COVID goes right now? Well, we're relatively normal, but what's happening behind the scenes is there's be, there are several laws being passed right now that are going to significantly affect us here in the near future. So, you know, we have a censorship bill on the table. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, medical assisted suicide you know we have a whole whole bunch of uh really insane uh bills that are on the table that are in their second and third readings uh in parliament up here it's very bizarre to me how canada operates especially now and especially when it comes to restricting freedom uh the world really took note of Canada when it came to the freedom truckers. It's something that we followed very closely in the USA because we were so proud that Canadian truckers were standing up for their rights, standing up for their freedoms. But you know, as far as Trudeau goes and the way that he treated those freedom truckers and then the way that he is now trying to cover his you know what because of everything that he did that was wrong um, and probably unlawful, what is the status of the freedom truckers and then the aftermath of how that all went down? Yeah, well, first and foremost, it was probably the greatest act of patriotism that we've ever seen in our country. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we were, we rallied around each other to go there to, you know, get rid of all these mandates that had been, you know, put upon us. And then, uh, you know, Trudeau uh, got scared and uh, he actually ran away instead of meeting with the truckers. Um, you know, then he called us misogynist, racist, you know, he called us every name in the book and ran away and didn't meet uh, with any of the truckers. So, um, but it was, it was an incredible movement. Uh, you know, he obviously uh, froze bank accounts, he 
uh, he somehow, uh, all the money that was raised, he got his hands on it uh, so that the truckers couldn't get it. Uh, then he called in, you know, the, the RCMP and police services to come in and, and shut down, you know, the movement. And, uh, and so what happened was, you know, a lot of the people that were there are, are now living in fear that if they support, comment, tweet, you know, whatever it is that, you know, they're afraid that their bank accounts are going to get shut down. They're going to lose their jobs, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, What's happened is the, the freedom movement in Canada has kind of imploded. And uh, there's a lot of infighting now uh, within that movement, which is, you know, typical. Uh, it's right out of the communist playbook is, is you know, they get us fighting uh, amongst each other. And then behind the scenes, like I said, they're passing all these bills that, uh, that are going to significantly, uh, you know, change this country forever. I want to talk about that doctor-assisted suicide because now it's being expanded to cover the mentally ill as well. And when a lot of Americans see that, you know, the whole concept of doctor-assisted euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide is a little bizarre for a lot of Americans to wrap our minds around. In Canada, I think it's more commonplace. But now to take it a step further and say that the mentally ill can now be eligible for something like this. I mean, whose bright idea was this? And did the Canadians really support this kind of a bill? Well, I, I think we obviously don't support something like that. Um, you know, Tommy, since my uh, since my playing career ended, I, I work in the field of trauma, mental health, and addiction, and I've been in that space for 15 years. And uh, you know, everything that I've learned, everything that I know about mental illness starts with trauma. Okay, and uh, COVID-19 is the most traumatic event that's happened since World War II. And so we already had a traumatized society. And then we added another layer of trauma. Then we locked people down. We put people in masks. We put arrows on the floor in uh, retail outlets. And, uh, you know, what I know about mental illness is the worst place you can be is inside of your own head. And so what did we see at the beginning of COVID? Well, we saw a spike in mental illness. We saw a spike in opioid use. Uh, we saw a spike in suicidal ideation, and then ultimately we saw people taking their own lives, right? And as somebody who, you know, struggles uh, every once in a while with depression and anxiety, uh, I know that there are tools out there that can be used to manage mental illness, and at no point or place do we need uh, medical assisted suicide for people who are struggling with mental illness? What's so bizarre to me too is the motivation behind something like this because it's being touted as, as compassionate, really, as someone being able to take charge of their own destiny. You know, they don't want to be on this planet anymore. That's the way it's being built. But underneath it's that facade, what do you think the motivation and the push for something like this would be? Well, uh, I don't know if you got to see Bill Gates's little TED talk um, where he talked about, you know, if we do a good job with the vaccines, we will significantly depopulate the world by 10 to 15 percent. So there is a depopulation agenda happening. And uh, 
Um, you know, that's the thing about communism is the only thing that comes out of communism is mass death, right? And we've seen this many, many times over the years, you know, communism has been tried many, many times. And the only thing that spits out is, is mass death. That's the only thing that comes out of it. So, um, uh, you know, that's why I've been so outspoken is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm also an abuse survivor as well. And nobody's talking about systemic government abuse, uh, which has been happening probably, I don't know, for decades now. And, and what abuse does, it, it causes trauma and, you know, leaves people in emotional pain and suffering. And, and what is emotional pain and suffering? Emotional pain and suffering is mental illness. And so how do we deal with this emotional pain and suffering that's left behind from these traumatic experiences? Well, we tend to gravitate towards the dark side of life and getting, get involved in addictive behavior as a coping mechanism to suppress that emotional pain and suffering. And as a society, we've done a really poor job of allowing people or creating safe spaces where people can talk about their traumatic experiences. I wonder as well for your movement, for Canadians for Freedom, you know, how are you perceived? How are you treated? How are you received by Canadians? Do you have a lot of support or does it feel like you're kind of a one man band out there speaking for a lot of people who are too afraid to speak up yeah. like you have? Because in Canada, it's yeah. very different. It's very different than the U.S. from what I can tell and from what I have heard. Yeah. People like you, yes. um, you know, people like me in the United States, you know, we're a dime a dozen. We're very outspoken and proud to be. But in Canada, it seems like everybody, even if they are disgruntled, they, for the most part, keep quiet. And of course, you're a little different. But, but what is it like for you? Well, we are a very compliant society, right? But we also have a very long fuse, right? And once that fuse burns out, which we're getting close to at this point, I would think. And, uh, but how am I perceived? I, I've learned a long time ago, uh, Tommy, that when I was an athlete and I played in visiting, visiting arenas, I got booed every single time. And to me, that's the greatest compliment you can be paid as an athlete is to get booed in a visiting, uh, arena, because that means you're doing your job, right? And so I see this as, as a similar thing because I've always sort of been a villain uh, my whole entire life. And what I realize is 50% of the people are going to like me and 50% aren't going to like me. So I'm going to hang around with the 50% that do. And so um, when I'm out on, on the speaking circuit and doing events and, and whatnot, you know, a lot of people come up to me and they will whisper thank you for speaking. Thank you for being my voice because, you know, ABCDEFG, they have all these excuses. Um, but, you know, how I see it, Tommy, is they all want us dead. So what's the alternative, right? I appreciate everything that you're doing because I know, like you said, Canada is a very compliant place to be. Everybody is very nice, doesn't want to ruffle any feathers, but sometimes the feathers need ruffling, especially when you guys have the policies that you do. Theo, thank you so much for spending so much time with me and for fighting the good fight, and we certainly appreciate it.
Still ahead, Joe Biden and the groomers are celebrating the Defense of Marriage Act, and you know I have some final thoughts. That's next. Yesterday, Joe Biden and pals hailed the Defense of Marriage Act, but their shindig was more of a woke celebration of child trans body dysmorphia and LGBTQ grooming. It's time for final thoughts. The Defense of Marriage Act was billed as a codified protection of gay marriage, which is fine, whatever, all good. But the way it was presented and celebrated by Joe Biden, or more accurately, his teleprompter, wasn't that. It was a hodgepodge of lies, lunacy, and liberalism so gag-worthy, you just got to take a listen. So in case you missed it. When a person can be married in the morning and thrown out of a restaurant for being gay in the afternoon, this is still wrong. We need to challenge the hundreds of callous, cynical laws introduced in the states targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors who give children the care they need. We have to protect these children so they know they are loved and we will stand up for them and say they can seek for themselves. When hospitals, libraries, and community centers are threatened and intimidated, <laughs> excuse me, because they support LGBTQ ch children and families, we have to speak out. If that wasn't one giant dumpster fire of a gaslight, I don't know what is. First of all, have you ever heard of a gay couple getting married only to be thrust out of a restaurant for being gay? No, me either, because that's a made-up crock of crap. You're more likely to get thrown out of a restaurant for being a Trump supporter or religious group, something that has actually happened, and more than once, and by the encouragement of Democrats. But furthermore, that drivel he barfed up about protecting trans kids is where I draw the freaking line. Exploiting young, impressionable, and mentally and biologically immature children by convincing them they're in the wrong body? That's not only happening, but it's child abuse. And when big pharma and sicko liberals try to convince children the thing in their pants is negotiable, we have to speak out. You know, if I was a gay person who wanted to get married and have a family and was forcibly lumped in with this non-binary trans-grooming freak show of a narrative, I'd be mad as hell. This agenda has nothing to do with defending marriage and nothing to do with equality. It's a thin veil for pedophiles and groomers to hide under in the BS guise of diversity, tolerance, and equality. There's nothing wrong with being gay. And hell, if you're a grown-ass adult that wants to start cutting body parts off on your own dime and time, whatever. But to normalize this crap and entice children and young adults to get into it is sick and it should be criminal. So take your deceptively titled Defense of Marriage Act indoctrination and shove it. This is repulsive. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.